What's my most favorite thing to do? To talk. Every week I'll do just that. We'll feature national and international movers and shakers, experts in their fields, and all-around interesting people with something more than great to say. No holds barred. We'll tackle every topic imaginable, especially for women over 40. This is Conversations with Sima. Please stay tuned. Today we'll be talking with a psychiatrist, intuit, energy worker, spiritualist, writer, author, and speaker about how to survive in this world as an empath. Dr. Judith Orloff is the New York Times bestselling author of the new book, The Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People, a guide to helping empathic people survive in an often insensitive world. She is on the UCLA Psychiatric Clinical Faculty, has written four other powerhouse books, and combines traditional medicine with cutting-edge knowledge of intuition, energy medicine, and spirituality. Welcome, Dr. Orlov. Thank you. So give the listeners just a very brief overview of your life and work. Well, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm also an empath. I have a practice in Los Angeles, and I specialize in treating highly sensitive people and empathic, intuitive people. The reason I have so much of an interest in this and why I wrote the book was that I've been trying to integrate my scientific side with my empathic, intuitive side in a very balanced way, and that's, I feel very passionate about that. And when I was little, I was an empath, somebody who absorbs energy from other people, and it could be positive energy, or it could also be the stress other people feel or their fear. Um, and I would go into shopping malls or crowded places, and I would walk in fine and walk out exhausted or with some ache or pain I didn't have before. And I didn't realize that I was an empath absorbing all the energy from the energy fields of the people in a crowded space. And so my parents, who were both physicians, said, oh, no, dear, you just need a thicker skin, (laughs) which is not not supportive for a sensitive child. Mm -hmm. Um, So I grew up believing there was something wrong with me. And my own healing path and why I wrote the Empath Survival Guide is to communicate to empaths and intuitives There's nothing wrong with you. You're beautiful. You're empowered. And you need to learn strategies to not take on the suffering or the negativity from the world or other people so you can really flourish with your gifts. So the uh, listener needs to know that there's full disclosure here. I happen to be a medical intuit and a little bit of a psychic and an empath, so I am nodding my head vigorously, and I just want you to have a visual of me, even though we're doing this on the radio. Tell me a little bit about what an empath really means, and how does it differ from being intuitive or psychic, and can you be both or all three? Yeah, there's a, being an empath means that you don't have the ordinary filters or defenses that other people have. You feel and sense the world in a very, very open way so that you're not guarded in the same way. This can have its pluses because it allows you to be passionate and deep and connect with nature and people and giving and of service to others. Um, And so it allows you to be all these things, but the downside is that you might take on the negative stress of other people into your own body And there's a type of empath, which I call an intuitive empath, that I discuss in the book. And this is more of the, these are more of the empaths who have developed their intuitive psychic skills, like yourself. 
And there are a number of different kinds of intuitive empaths, such as telepathic empaths, somebody who can sense and feel what's going on in you in present day time. There's the dream empath, somebody who has a great attraction to dreams and oftentimes gets guidance through their dream. There's the animal empath, who have special communication abilities with animals and a special closeness with them. There's the earth empath. Some of my patients who are earth empaths can actually feel what's going on in the earth. If there's an oil spill or if there's an earthquake, they feel that agitation. And some of my patients can't even you know, eat meat where they're vegan because they feel the suffering of the animals in their own bodies. And so you know, those are different types of intuitive empaths. Is there any merit or value in knowing what kind of empath you are? Yes, there's a lot of merit and value in that because then you can really excel in your gifts. Whereas if you're, let's say you're an animal empath, you can really spend your time around animals and enjoy them, feel their love, communicate with them, perhaps go into professions that are animal related, such as being a vet, vet assistant, or you know, working on a farm, something where you can be around animals. You know, or if you're um, a telepathic empath or a precognitive empath, that might really help you in working with people because you get all kinds of extra information when you read people. So you can nurture those gifts and be in the right profession. There's a chapter in the Empath Survival Guide on the best and worst jobs for empaths. And oftentimes their skills and talents can come out in the right jobs, but they can be squashed in other jobs. So you can use your knowledge of what type of empath you are and just cater your life, you know, really make your life consistent with that. And what first rule would you like an empath to know about themselves? Well, empaths, in the beginning of the book, there's a quiz, are you an empath? So it's important to identify what level, are you an empath and what level of empath are you? And so some of the questions you need to know are, have I been labeled as overly sensitive, shy, or introverted? Um, Usually empathic people have been given this derogatory label. Um, Do crowds drain me and do I need alone time to revive myself? That's very typical of empaths. They don't revive themselves uh, with lots of people or do noise, smells, or nonstop talkers drain me. Um, Empaths have a very strong sense of smell, and so you can walk into an elevator with perfume in it, and an empath can feel like they're being nuked, whereas someone else might feel like, oh, what a beautiful scent. Because we're hyper alert. Empaths have very strong senses, and they socially isolate when they feel overwhelmed. They tend to go on sensory overload, and then they also absorb other people's stress, emotions, or even symptoms. Now, I've had patients who have taken on their spouse's symptoms in their own body, and that's, that's not healthy. And so those are just some of the questions from the quiz that you can ask yourself. And it's important that you deal with being overstimulated, absorbing the stress and negativity of others. And when you feel isolated and alone, it's often because with the patients I work with, they just stay at home a lot 
because they have comfort there, but the world just is too overstimulating for them. So learning to find grounding techniques and centering techniques so you feel good and strong in the world is really important. I know for myself that I have felt alone with all of these mm, attributes. For myself, it isn't that I ever isolated myself, but I always felt so different. And I have to believe that that's also one of the things that a lot of empaths would struggle with, correct? Oh, so much so. When I was little, I wished that a spaceship would come and take me back to my (sighs) true home because I didn't feel like I belonged in this world. Right, right. I had a similar. So that's common. I mean, to all the empaths, they feel outsiders. They feel like they don't belong. They don't have their own tribe, and that's why I wanted to write this book is to create, you know, a, a community for empaths. I, ha- I have a Facebook empath support community too, with over seven thousand empaths who have kind of found their tribe. So they're not alone. But all of them in the beginning say, "I felt so alone." So that's very common. In my case. I always knew I was different, and I, from a very, very early age, knew what the skills were that I was given in this life. How would you address someone for whom they can't figure out what it is that they're feeling or doing, don't have a label, and maybe don't have a very strong sense of themselves, and then they come to you or they read your book? How would you guide them? to help support them and to help them find themselves? Well, I would first, you know, any patient that comes to me, a workshop participant, I give them the Are You an Empath quiz to determine if they are an empath because that makes a huge difference because a lot of people come to me who are sent to me from other physicians who are on meds, who are diagnosed major depression, major anxiety, agoraphobia, And they're given tons of meds, and that is not the primary treatment for being an empath. And so I have to assess, first of all, is someone an empath? And then I want to go through their life and see how is it affecting your family? How is it affecting your work? How is it affecting your friends or your free activity? Um, Empaths love to spend time in nature, so that's a must for empaths. Is this person getting enough alone time? Or are they on sensory overload all the time? So I try and make that assessment and then try and help the person create a life that's consistent with their empathic gifts. And sometimes that requires some changes, some job changes, um, perhaps friend changes if they're around a lot of energy vampires, and really take an overall assessment of their lives to find how to make your empathic gifts shine in all areas of your life. So that's a good start. I think that's a scary proposition for a lot of people, especially if they're entrenched in a particular family unit or a particular job, to be given the support and the acknowledgement that it's okay to be pursuing who they really are. Yeah. No, I, I understand that sometimes it's scary, but it gets down to the point where people come to me and they're so tired, and they have chronic fatigue, and they have fibromyalgia, and they've just reached a bottom with it. So reaching that bottom helps them gain the courage to change. And slowly, you could change in baby steps. I'm not talking about a total makeover of your life, but I'm talking little by little, creating a life that's more harmonious for an empath. 
And that makes all the difference. Empaths can be happy and joyous and explore and playful and not so guarded all the time because they're afraid of taking on everyone else's stuff. That's why I wrote the book, was to show people how to get to that point because I wrote the book also for myself. If I needed to learn these techniques that I'm sharing to survive as an empath and thrive. And so I know they work because I use them. And I use them every day all the time. <laughs> so, you know, they're really, really helpful techniques. Even someone who has spent a lifetime in this world, such as yourself, do you feel it's important to be reminded about these facts that this is who you are, these are the techniques you need to employ, and you need to go through them on a daily basis. Do you think you still have to keep training yourself? Uh, well, yeah, you get you get used to certain techniques, so they become more second nature. Like setting boundaries is much easier for me now than it used to be. Or expressing my authentic empath needs in a relationship is getting easier, though I'm still hesitant after all this time. You know, I just have, you know, a slow learning curve with that. That's the only way I'm going to have an intimate relationship. You see? So it's gradually learning to express your needs and find people who can support you and be braver about who you are and less concerned about people thinking you're crazy or to this or to that. You know, just to be yourself. That's the most important thing because life goes by so quickly and if you're not yourself, who are you going to be? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah. I was excited to hear you say at the beginning of the show that you really wanted to delve into some of the science behind this. And I would like to talk about what is the science behind this? Yeah, that's very exciting. There's a section in the book on that. And one area of science, um, it has to do with mirror neurons. And mirror neurons are the neurons in the brain that are responsible for compassion. So when you feel, when you see somebody else's in pain, or even in their joy, there's a part of your, your brain, the mirror neurons, that resonate with that and activate. And so empaths are thought to have a hyperactive mirror neuron system, meaning it's a little bit on overdrive when you're feeling <laughs> an excess of compassion for nearly everyone and everything, compared to, let's say, a narcissist who has an empathy deficient disorder, which means they, they have a lack of ne mirror neurons. They have hypoactive mirror neurons. So the whole, if you take the whole spectrum from little or zero, from narcissist to all the way on the top of the spectrum, empaths, then you, you have a kind of a greater understanding by thinking of the mirror neuron system in the brain. And how, so, has, how has science found this out? What type of research is done to... Oh, through MRI scans where they've shown, you know, uh, let's say they put an MRI on somebody, you know, and then their wife gets hurt, and they're seeing their wife get hurt, and they see the mirror neurons light up on the MRI. Fascinating. So it's something that, that's been visualized in brain scanning. So speaking about narcissists, and I won't identify anyone in particular, these are really toxic times. Um the uh, new administration, the kind of milieu that we live in, these are times fraught with fear and instability and, in a lot of cases, media overload. And in your book, you outline several tips to overcome overwhelmedness and apathy. What tips can you offer the listener with regard to the time in which we live? Well, it's a very, very stressful time for sensitive, loving people. 
um, I've had so many of my patients sink into depressions or have their anxiety exacerbated because of this constant atmosphere of uncertainty and unkindness that surrounds, you know, the Western Hemisphere at this point. And so it's a different energy to deal with. And so empaths especially are suffering as a result. Um, with the, the uh, legislation on hurting the earth, that's one that particularly gets empaths because they're so connected to the earth. And so empaths need to learn to limit their news exposure, so especially not watching it before they go to sleep at night because that will interfere with their dream time and their restfulness and to limit the amount of input that's coming in at the same time building up your strength and the heart meditation in the book is one thing i use every day and i suggest everybody that you do a three-minute meditation to recenter yourself in your heart energy which is the unconditional love within you which is the opposite of the environment that's being created in the world today all right so you have to have faith in the power of the heart and one light creates another light creates hundreds of lights but even in the midst of darkness this is the most powerful meditation that you could use to ignite your light of the heart and love and never give up on that any other tips you'd like to give people i love the uh by the way i also have stopped watching the news before i go to bed yeah. uh, but that's just self-preservation Exactly. Um, any other tips in these times? In these times, um, just a lot of self-care and really evaluate in your life how many energy vampires are there. There's a chapter in the book on helping you identify different types. How many narcissists do you have? How many chronic talkers do you have? How many, quote, victim mentalities do you have? And begin to develop strategies to either eliminate them if you can or cut them short so you don't have to be drained in your personal life with so much going on externally we have to be very careful to weed out any kind of negative influences in our immediate circle if we can or else learn how to deal with them productively in reading your book i also was thinking about my own quest in the last couple of decades to shed just those very people you were just mentioning. But I think to be able to get to the place that you can do that, you need some sort of self-awareness that that is so strong. And you also need uh, some amount of objectivity. Would you agree? I would totally agree. But you have to learn to diagnose these people, you know, all different types. That's why I've organized them and categorized them so you could know the qualities to diagnose them and then have solutions on how to deal with them. It's really pretty pragmatic once you read it, memorize it, and look for it. But you have to be educated in that way so you're not just rolled over, you know, like a steamroller by all these drainers. Sure. Since this is a show for women over 40, what would you like women to know about this time in their lives, about being in midlife or about being in or past menopause? I think this is probably the most powerful time of your life. And the older that you get, the more time passes. When you practice self-care and spiritual growth, the more powerful you get and the more light you give off. And to 
always develop that way. Or even if there's an empath listening out there in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even if you've never done it before, you can start now to take care of yourself and ignite your power and your light of your sensitivities and your empathy. And it's a building of power that happens now. And it's so, you know, the opposite of what they say in magazines and our youth-oriented culture, you know, where most people who are a certain age haven't, you know, who are very, very young haven't developed any kind of light or energy coming from them. But as women who are maturing and coming into their power, I mean, I, I really think this segment of the population is the most powerful and has the most potential to ground everything that's happening and to do good. But that means you have to take care of yourself. I hope we are reaching the listener uh, because I think that a lot of women in midlife are confused, don't know where to turn, uh, don't know what to do, and really don't know what to do with these hormones that are sometimes wreaking havoc with their bodies. Right. What has this time in your life offered you? Confidence, belief in myself, testing my beliefs, which are the power of the heart guarding my sensitivities and letting them shine, not being so much of a people pleaser, knowing that I could only help and do my best, that I can't fix people, and connecting to nature more and more and realizing that love and relationships are the most important thing and also my creativity and writing. I really had to prioritize where I want my energy to go. And if I could keep it pretty clean like that, I live a very happy life. Well, what do you hope that you will accomplish in the next decade? Do you have a sense? I hope that I will grow comfortable with my partner in intimate relationships, so I'm not always afraid I'm going to get overwhelmed, and that I'm able to stick with it and really work through my fears in that area. And also, because when I can do it, I could teach it. And I'm in the midst of, I've been in a relationship for four years, and I'm in the midst of of learning deeper and deeper what it means to be an empath in love. And that, for me, is a big challenge because I was an only child and I was an empath, so I am really, really used to replenishing myself alone. So I hope I can grow along those areas and open my heart, and also that my spiritual practice deepens as I meditate every day by my altar, and that it deepens and my connection to spirit and the trust that I have in spirit goes deeper and deeper and deeper, no matter what chaos is in the external world. So those are my deepest wishes that just came up spontaneously for me. Listening with your heart is not at all the same as listening with your head. And I think for a lot of people, these are foreign concepts. They, they don't feel connected to their heart. I'd like to spend the remaining couple of minutes just talking about how better to listen em- empathically to others? How better to reach your own heart? What would you suggest? Well, I suggest practicing on your own, not with people, the three-minute heart meditation in the book where you put your hand over your heart chakra, which is in the middle of your chest, and you begin to focus on something you love. Maybe it's a sunset. Maybe it's the night sky. Maybe it's a forest. Maybe it's a child. But begin to slow your breath and focus on the power of this loving image and be able to allow yourself to let that energy in so you can feel it. 
and it means slowing down everything so you're not flitting and rushing around, but just sitting, dropping deeper into that feeling. And it's a training process. The more you can do that, the more familiar it is. And I can't tell you how important that is on my book tour because I'm, as an empath, it's not my natural state to talk in front of all these people. And so I practice this heart meditation to center myself, to come back to my power center, which is love. And then I go out a different person. I go out from my place of power. So you can start doing that. And then also, if you want to become more empathic, you have to watch your judging mind. You know, if you judge people for this, that, or the other, um, it's important, everybody judges, but it's important not to act from those judgments. And try and find the similarities with somebody, even if they're far out, whatever it is, search for it so you can make that empathic bond with them, and then you'll have a chance of understanding them. But I think people get so stuck in their judgments of what they like, what they don't like, what's good, what's bad about the other person, rather than, you know, asking spirit, please let me find the good in them. It's hard, but let me find it. And then you always will. I also had written down some of the tips that you had written in the book, The Empath Survival Guide. I wrote, again, reiterating what you said, take a media break, listen empathetically to others, let go of resentments, protect yourself from narcissists, realize that empathy is stronger than apathy, foster empathy within yourself, and guard yourself from toxic people. So there's my list. I'm hoping the listener makes their own list. And finally, as I do with my shows, I ask my guests, what do you hope your legacy will be? That people trust their intuition and their hearts and learn to integrate it with medicine and health care and really blend together the different parts of yourself, the scientific, the rational, with the feeling, heart, intuition, empathy. Be a whole person and learn how to do it. It's a practice. It doesn't just happen to you. So I hope people can use this book as a guide to find that integration in themselves. That would make me very, very fulfilled. We've been talking today with Dr. Judith Orloff. She is the New York Times bestselling author of the new book, The Empath's Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Dr. Judith Orloff can be found at drjudithorloff.com. I'm Sima Shapiro, your host of For Women Over 40, Conversations with Sima. Thank you so much to the listener for joining us today. And until next time, I hope you take care.